Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 104 of the SCO Show. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Broadcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be here for today, Thursday, April 30th, 2020. And we got one thing to get to today. I know I said I was going to talk about the UDFAs, and I am going to do that. But we are going to talk about one of them. We're going to talk about Brian the Werke. That's it. That's the topic. That's the show. If you ever dreamed of a podcast that was going to spend the entire episode about a single undrafted free agent rookie quarterback from the Big Ten, well, today is your lucky day, friend. Because that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about the idea of the summer scouting season because that's what we're in right now, the life cycle of a draft quarterback prospect in today's sort of 365 draft Twitter world. We're going to talk about Brian Lewerke coming into 2019, Brian Lewerke coming out of 2019 and into 2020, and why I think the Patriots sort of found him a feasible option in that undrafted portion of the draft. But before we do all that fun, good stuff, a reminder, check out the work. The way to do that, follow me on Twitter, first and foremost, at Mark Schofield. You can find me writing for places like Touchdown Wire, part of the USA Today Network, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, that MattWaldmanRSP.com. Not one or two, but three, yes, three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. Also, a reminder, Bleeding Green Nation, we have rebranded the QB Sco Show as the QB Factory. Hat tip, Howie Roseman. Let's talk here about the life cycle of a draft quarterback in the National Football League. And I will give you, at the start, a contemporary point of reference. Because given that the draft is a year-round, decadent, depraved process, you have probably seen people already diving in and firing off the 2021 takes. And a take that seems to be gaining steam is the idea that Trevor Lawrence, viewed by many as the best quarterback prospect since Luck, or perhaps since Joe Burrow, dare we say, might be quarterback three in this upcoming class. Because what tends to happen during the summer scouting season, which now begins the second, the third day ends of the previous draft is people start diving into other unknown or perhaps lesser known commodities at the quarterback position and other positions. And what seems to be gaining steam right now is the idea that, yes, Trevor Lawrence is good, but Justin Fields at Ohio State, he might be better. Or Trey Lance at North Dakota State might be better. Now, I told everybody in the second half at the end of last our last episode that summer scouting isn't about planting flags and dying on hills and things like that. It's about getting baselines for players. But that won't stop everybody else from firing up the whole take machine, planting that flag and saying, look, Trevor Lawrence, he's not that good. He's QB3 in this class. Because, look, Lawrence has basically fell to quarterback two in many minds. And it's not even May. By the time June rolls around, oh boy, 
people are going to be going full on galaxy brain over the idea that Trevor Lawrence has probably hit his ceiling as a passer. That, you know, you drop Trey Lance or Justin Fields into Clemson's system and oh boy, watch out. Or imagine what KJ Costello could do with those kind of weapons that Trevor Lawrence had. Or, man, Sam Ellinger, that Texas kid, he's good, but at Clemson? Or what about if you drop Trevor Lawrence into Texas? How bad would Lawrence look? That tells you how good Sam Ellinger is. So get ready for those takes because that choo-choo trains are coming. And I say this at the outset because it reminds me of a time not too long ago when Brian Lewerke was a quarterback that was getting that kind of buzz, moving up boards, where people were saying he was the guy. He was potentially the top quarterback to come out and say the 2019 draft or maybe even the 2018 draft. But things kind of fell apart because after his 2017 season, people were primed for maybe a a great 2018 campaign, but he hurt his throwing shoulder. He struggled throughout that season. And now he's an undrafted rookie free agent. But here were my notes on him coming out of the 2017 season. I thought he was a true dual-threat quarterback. I thought he was able to make some stuff happen with his legs. He moved well enough against pressure. Comes from a pro-style offense. Lots of under-center action. Lots of play-action plays with the back turned to the defense that I like to see. Throws well on the move. Good timing and rhythm at times. That at-times qualifier is always something to look for. It means it doesn't do it all the time. Good process and play speed on West Coast concepts like tosser. Okay, deep deep accuracy, live arm. And he can do some stuff sort of post-snap if his pre-snap expectations are changed by the defense reframing what they're doing in the secondary. As far as the weaknesses, I thought anticipation was a big one. I didn't see a lot of anticipation throws on him from 2017. I thought he was hesitant at times. He did not run a ton of progression stuff in 2017. A lot of his throws were sort of those one-read type plays. A lot of YOLO throws. Um, process and play speed would suffer at times. There were times when he was pressured where his read process would just crumble. There were also times when rather than climb in the pocket, he would just try to be athletic and escape and that would get him into trouble. His ball placement when he got to his second or third read, that was a problem. And so that's sort of where I was on him going into the 2018 season. And then, like I said, he got hurt in 2018. I actually went to a game, Maryland hosting Michigan State, to see him live. It was a game where he came back from injury. I was not the only person there with Kyle Krabs. This was the second year in a row where we made the same trip to Maryland to College Park. We had gone the year prior to see Minnesota at Maryland. And that was rough. This was rougher. I'll give you a sense of how rough this one was in a second. But let me give you the most Big Ten sequence of time, of all time. And I saw this in person, friends. Okay? Maryland, trailing 17-3, fumbles the ball away just outside of the Michigan State red zone to start the third quarter. Actually, to start the fourth quarter. Two plays later, Lewerke throws an interception, the only interception he threw in this game, and he's benched. 
You might say, well, why was he benched? Why was he benched? Well, he finished the day 8 of 20, excuse me, 11 of 20 for 87 yards. You know, if you're 11 of 19 for 87 yards and you throw a pick, you're probably going to get benched. So Lewerke throws his pick. Michigan State starts their ensuing possession. I mean, Maryland starts their ensuing possession on the Michigan State 43. They gain all of six yards, getting down to the 37, and facing a fourth and 18 from the Michigan State 37. Again, trailing 17 to three, they punt. Michigan State trots their backup quarterback into the game, and he gets intercepted by, of all people, Byron Cowart. Cowart returns that down near the goal line, but fumbles it away, and Michigan State recovers it for a touchback. Given new life, the Spartans then run an inside zone type play on first and 10 from their 20-yard line, and they house it for an 80-yard touchdown. If that's not the most Big Ten sequence of all time, show me better. Hashtag bad Big Ten. Hashtag bagged Big Ten sequences. Hashtag I'm not John Oliver. That was incredible. My only regret of that sequence after which Kyle Krabs and I packed it up and left was that the unnamed, unteam-named and identified AFC East scout who had sat down with some AFC North scouts in the middle of the first quarter never opened up his notebook, never took out his pen, never took off his jacket and left midway through the second quarter. My only regret was that that guy didn't get to see that sequence because I think he would have enjoyed it. But look, circling back to Brian Lewerke. Had some promise in 2017 when people were shoving him up to the draft, top of the draft board saying, man, this guy might be, might be great. You know, when we get to the 2019 draft, when they were doing the summer scouting on him. And then he had 2018 happen and went back to campus. And so that's the sort of baseline Brian Lewerke that I'm working from. Up next, what did I see when I watched his 2019 tape? We'll get into that next here in episode 104 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 104 of The Sco Show. And let's talk Brian Lewerke 2019. It still wasn't great. But there were signs of improvement. And I'll get to those in a minute. But we can start with some takeaways from the PFF Draft Guide where... Their sort of synopsis of him sort of encapsulates where we are and where we came from. The work he tantalized as a sophomore back in 2017 and had some on board with where his tools could take him in the coming years. Unfortunately, Lewerke has been largely the same inconsistent guy ever since outside of a stretch in 2018 when he played through a shoulder injury and was even worse. It would be one thing if that inconsistency meant Alternated special throws down the field with boneheaded decisions, but he never had more than 19 big-time throws in a season. That's just not the profile of an NFL QB. Their cons for him, they had pros and cons for every prospect. Didn't even show up some games, couldn't hit anything against Wisconsin-Penn State. Misses too many easy ones, wasn't even challenging much downfield this year either. Not mobile at all, little outside the pocket. I I still think he's got some ability out there. I'm not as harsh on him as PFF is. 10 straight fumbles for three-plus seasons, which the guy has catcher's mitts for hands. How did that happen? And like they 
like they saw here, like I said, shoulder injury in 2018 taught him to go down the tank. Bottom line for him, from PFF, whether it's decision-making or accuracy, Lewerke falls below the threshold for quarterbacks projecting to the NFL in both categories. He never hit above 60% in the season completion percentage, which is one of those sort of Parcells rules. 18 touchdowns, 11 interceptions in 2018. With a passer rating of just 66.7%. And something that sort of stands out on the positive side, which is interesting to me, average time to throw of just 2.34 seconds. So he's making up his mind quickly. And I've got a parallel film piece with him that's going up on Pat's pulpit sometime today. And some of the inconsistencies and the flaws that I saw from his first two years at Michigan State, 2017 and 2018, the progressions, the decision-making, there's at least signs of improvement, particularly in that sort of full-field progression read. Like, he had a play against Ohio State, excuse me, Tulsa, where he goes full-field read, on a mirrored curl flat concept. And so you're running out of three by one. You got three receivers to the right. Outside receiver runs the curl. Middle receiver runs the flat. That inside receiver runs the sit route over the middle. That's the sit and then one half of the mirrored curl flat. To the other side of the field, the single receiver side, single receiver, that X runs the curl. And then the running back checks protection runs the swing. So he gives you that flat element. So you get that mirrored curl flat look and the sit route over the middle. And he wants to read this from the three-receiver side first. So he opens to the right, and he sees from the Golden Hurricane defense that the flat defender, the cornerback, stays over that flat route. And then so his eyes go there first. That is covered. He looks to the curl. You've got both the slot defender getting under it and the safety getting over it. So your first two reads are gone. Comes to the sit route over the middle of the foot, over the field, right over the football, five yards downfield. That is swallowed up by the underneath linebackers. Now your third read is gone. Your fourth read now is that curl on the back side that is covered. The corner to that side, the work he didn't see it, but he sees it late enough to notice it. That corner from that slide fakes a blitz, then retreats and scampers back underneath that curl. So it's underneath bracketed and it's over the top bracketed because the safety's over the top of it. So he goes to his fifth receiver. The running back out of the backfield takes the check down. He wasn't doing a ton of that stuff his first couple of years, but he was doing that now. And so I was excited. I was heartened to see throws like that. He had another throw against Tulsa, Tulsa where they're running a shallow cross concept. So it was, again, a three-by-one. Single receiver is running sort of a, a dig over the top. And then you've got to the three-receiver side, your tight end in the wings running the shallow route. And the middle receiver is running an in-breaking route that's not as deep as the dig, but it's close. It's also almost a dig. He peeks the single receiver first, sees that that's covered. Then his eyes flash to the middle receiver on the right, running that in-cut, sees that that's covered. Eyes come back down to the third read here, which is that shallow cross from the tight end working right to left, and he throws that. Seeing stuff like that is good. Another thing that I mentioned was sort of hesitation, right? Lack of anticipation. He had a great read and throw against Ohio State. Last I checked, a very good team. Where 
they use some pre-snap motion. He knows as a result that it's man coverage. And he throws an out route on a sort of a go, flat, go out concept on time, in rhythm, with anticipation. And that's what you want to see. That's some growth. That's some development. And yes, he struggled in other parts of that game. Yes, he struggled against Penn, Penn State. He struggled in some of his other games. You know, like they mentioned, he struggled against Wisconsin. And the PFF draft guy, they pointed that out. But we're talking about a guy that went undrafted. We're talking about a guy that was your second UDFA addition at the quarterback position. He has shown progress in some areas. There's enough to at least think that he can help you down the road. He can help you immediately in camp as a scout team quarterback. And perhaps my favorite read and throw of his was also from that Tulsa game where they went zero blitz. They had a mesh wheel concept with the mesh and then the wheel route from the running back out of the backfield. They go zero blitz. He sees it right away. Doesn't panic, doesn't fluster, doesn't break down mentally. And he just takes that wheel immediately when he sees it because he knows that that's going to put the corner in a bind because the corner wants to run with the crosser. But now he sees the wheel coming his way. He's caught in between. He takes the wheel route. And the running back is able to turn it into a touchdown because that cornerback is out of position. He's able to make that guy miss in the open field. You know, quarterbacks should want to get blitzed. The work he gets blitzed there, he's able to make the defense pay. And so, ultimately, look, we are talking about a guy that went undrafted. We're talking about a guy that every team passed on, including the New England Patriots, throughout all seven rounds of this draft. But he does some things that you want to see, such as the process and speed on West Coast concepts, which, last I checked, the New England Patriots playbook is filled with West Coast concepts. He's shown some improvement in areas like anticipation, like progression reads, like full field reads, like taking what the defense is going to give him. He has great arm talent, a three-year starter with over 1,500 dropbacks, which is not a Parcells rule, but it's something. He's somebody that will avoid sacks, doesn't take a ton of them. Yes, there is poor decision-making on film. Yes, there is accuracy, and there are accuracy breakdowns on film. But at this point in the draft, or really, in this point in the undrafted free agency process, you're taking flyers. You're turning in lottery tickets. And this isn't a bad lottery ticket at all. Do I think that he beats out Stidham for the starting job? No. Do I think he wins a roster spot? It's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. And if that is your framework for a UDFA guy, which it should be, it's not a bad addition. And so there's a look at Brian Lewerke, sort of the the trials and the tribulations of Mr. Lewerke, a little bit of Crazy Uncle Mark's story time. That will do it for today. I will be back next Monday, Mock Draft Monday 1.0. No, no, we're not going to do that. We'll do something else. It's it's much too early for 2021 mocks, believe me. But we'll have some stuff for you on Monday, maybe some more pre-draft, post-draft, excuse me, coverage. 
some stuff on the future of the league, where the league is going to be going, you know, with the season ahead. That's next time. Until then, friends, stay safe. Wash those hands. Check in on your neighbors and your loved ones. And as you wash those hands, sit along and bless those Patriots reign down in Foxborough.